You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Philippians 1, 27 through verse 30. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightening anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but for your salvation that is from God. For it has been granted to you, That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for each man, woman, and child who got up out of bed and came today. Uh, We um, are here because we need you to speak to us. We need you to move mightily. We do not want to just come up here and... um, mark something off our religious checklist. Um, We don't want to just encounter you in the next life. We want to encounter you in this life. And I ask that you will do that, that you will meet us in a special way in the next few moments, that you will take this text and that you will drive it deep into our hearts and transform us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. On August 26, uh, boxing legend Floyd Money Mayweather And UFC champion Conor McGregor made history whenever their boxing match became the biggest pay-per-view event of all time. 4.6 million homes purchased this fight at about $90 to $100 a pop. Not to mention there were also 2.9 million homes that streamed it illegally, making it by far the most watched fight of all time. Now, for those who watched the fight, like I did, maybe you uh, have been anticipating it for months, and uh, the reason you anticipated this is because these fighters were, were some of the best fighters in the world. They were also incredible uh, talkers of smack, right? I mean, uh, both of them were, were, were going at each other for months, saying, I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to humiliate you, right? I'm going to gut you. I mean, just weird stuff like that, right? I mean, they were just doing everything they could to intimidate one another. But of course, if you watch the fight or if you kept up with sports, you probably know by now that after 10 rounds or in the 10th round, eventually Floyd Mayweather got the best of Conor McGregor. The ref had to stop the fight, and Mayweather moved to a flawless 50 wins and zero losses. After the fight was over, if you watch the post-conference, someone interviewed McGregor. And they asked him, you know, I mean, dude, you've been talking all this smack. You've been so confident. I mean, this guy makes Muhammad Ali in his heyday look like a humble servant, right? I mean, this guy talks the talk, right? And they're like, man, you've been talking. You were so sure you were going to beat him. So, so what exactly happened? How come you were defeated in this fight that you were so confident that you were going to win? And in a nutshell, what McGregor said basically was this. He said, well, you know, in the early rounds, if you saw the fight, I was whooping Floyd. I felt good about things. But then... He changed his stance. And he said, I wasn't expecting that. He said, I thought he was just going to bait me the whole time. But then all of a sudden he put his hands up and he started coming right at me. And quite honestly, he says, I just simply wasn't prepared to fight that type of fight. And therefore I was defeated. 
In other words, what McGregor said is the reason I lost this fight is I didn't go into the fight with the right strategy. I did not go into the fight properly prepared, and as a result, I was beaten. And here's why I share that. Here's the point I want to make. When you choose to follow Jesus, you sign up for a fight. When you decide to become a Christian, you enter not into a play field, but a battlefield. And if you do not go into this fight with the right strategy, if you go into this fight unprepared like McGregor, we will not be able to withstand the attacks. And because Paul knows that this is true, because he knows that in the Christian life, better than probably any of us will ever know, that we will, when we choose to follow Jesus, will be hit. We will at times even be knocked down. Because he knows this is the case, he says, what I want to do for each of you this morning is I want to impart to you a strategy that if you will implement it, you will actually be able to press forward in the fight with joy in your hearts. And in the end, you will reign victoriously with Christ. That's what Paul wants to impart to us today. Does that make sense? And all of the wisdom and all of the encouragement that he wants to pass on to us actually flows from verse 27. And so if you will, look with me again. Philippians 1, verse 27. And Paul starts with this word, only. That's his way of saying, hey, listen, if, you don't, if, you, if you're tuned out right now, right, or if you don't listen to anything else I have to say, make sure you at least listen to this. This is the only thing I want to make sure that you walk away with. Only, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, by worthy, we have to understand something here. Paul does not mean deserving. When Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, he does not mean let your life be earning of the gospel. He's not saying live in such a way that you deserve the gospel, but rather when he says let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, what he means is this. Make sure, Christian, that you live your life in such a way that it is consistent with the gospel. Make sure that by how you live, it matches up with what you say you believe. Or as Eugene Peterson says in his message translation, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. When Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, here's what he's saying to us. He's saying that we are not just a Sunday stop-off in an otherwise worldly lifestyle. What he's saying is that the gospel should impact all of our life. What he's reminding us of here, the word he literally uses uh, for let your manner of life be, it's six words in the English, it's one word in the Greek, and it means citizenship. What he's literally saying here is make sure you remember that your primary identity is a citizen of the kingdom of God, and therefore no matter who you are or where you come from, you are called to represent King Jesus, not just on Sunday, but in your everyday, so that we can then, as the church, create a non-ignorable gospel culture where everyone and anyone can have a real encounter with the real Jesus. Here's the great thing about what Paul is actually saying here too, is he says, you know what? To live this way, to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel, you don't have to be a spiritual genius this morning. We don't have to to invent a new gospel. We don't even have to improve on the old gospel. All we need to do, he says, is live consistent with the gospel we already have. And if we will do this, he says, no matter what the future holds, no matter what the world throws at you, 
you will be, right now, you will be fully equipped with everything that you need to face, whatever it is that you're facing. And as a result, he says, you will press forward in the fight, in the midst of the opposition, when it comes with joy in your heart. So the question needs to be this morning, okay, then how do we live in such a way that this is true? How can we make sure that our manner of life is worthy of the gospel and then that we can, in, as a result, press forward with joy in our hearts? And there's four things Paul wants us to see this morning. If we are going to continue to press forward against opposition, there are four things that need to be true about us. You ready? Here they are. We need to be united. We need to be confident. We need to be grateful. And we need to be engaged. We need to be united. We need to be confident, we need to be grateful, we need to be engaged. It's all right here in our text. It's a strategy that Paul says, if you implement it, you will live a manner of life worthy of the gospel, and you will press forward in the mission with joy in your heart. So let's just break this down. Number one, here's part of the strategy. He says, we have to be united. Look again at verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind. If you think back to my example as the McGregor and Mayweather fight, McGregor was standing firm in the first nine rounds, right? But what happened in the 10th round? For those of you that watched the fight, his legs got wobbly, right? He started getting fatigued. He started getting exhausted. He got hit over and over. Eventually, he's leaning on the ropes. He's getting pounded, and the ref has to stop the fight. This is the image that Paul is trying to show us right here. He's saying that as a Christian, you need to be like a fighter. You need to have a, a, a firm standing. You just stand firm in the fight. Well, how do we stand firm? Well, Paul says this. You stand firm by standing in one spirit and with one mind. What does Paul mean here? Listen, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. And what he is saying here when he says you need to stand firm in one spirit and one mind, you've got to get this, guys, is he says if you are going to stand firm in the fight, you must stand united with the church. If you are going to stand firm in the fight, you must first stand united with the church. You must stand tenaciously united. You must stand fiercely and intensely united. This is what he means when he says that we are to stand in one spirit and one mind. Guys, if we are going to press forward with joy in our hearts, listen carefully. You have to get this. If we are going to press forward against the opposition that we will face as Christians with joy in our hearts, the first thing we have to get as a church is we have to refuse to fragment. I am convinced that one of the greatest ways that the enemy wants to attack us is not from, from forces on the outside in, but from the inside out. I believe that the way that Satan wants to attack the church and take down the church is not from, from ISIS or enemies that are going to come from the outside, but it's by turning one another or each other against one another. That is why as a church, we must refuse. Listen, guys, we must refuse to gossip about one another. If someone comes to you as a prayer request and they want to talk to you in a negative way about somebody else, you stop them and you send them to that person. We must refuse to assume the worst about one another. To say, well, since they did this, this is probably true. Begin to draw conclusions. We must refuse to hold on to bitterness against one another. 
We must realize today that there is something that is, there is far too much at stake for us to let petty disagreements and personal moodiness to distract us from the mission that is at hand. This is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that as a church, if we're going to stand firm in the fight with joy in our hearts, we have to lock arms with one another. We have to remember that because of Jesus, we are now united in Christ. We are. We're united with him, and therefore, he says, we must stand firm together side by side in the power of the Spirit so that we can press forward with joy in our hearts no matter what comes our way. It's the first thing we have to get today. And notice in here, by the way, Paul doesn't say when we're to be united that we're to be united against something. He says we're to be united for something. There are a lot of churches that are known for what they are against. I hope Fellowship Paragold is not a church that's known for what we are against. Let's be known for what we are for. And what are we for? Jesus. Plain and simple. We're for Jesus and his mission, and we want to see his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what Paul is getting at here whenever he says that we are to be striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. By the way, that word for striving there, you know what it is? It's it's where we get our English word from, athletics. The the, the image that, that Paul is giving us here is he's saying the Christian, if you're a Christian, you're like an athlete. Whether you have, you care about sports at all, and that's just what he's saying here. He's saying that the Christian life, what he's saying, for it to be an effective Christian life, it takes training, it takes equipping, it takes practice, it takes blood, it takes sweat, it takes tears. Listen, guys, it takes getting out of your comfort zone and actually onto the field and taking some shots. I watched the uh, Clemson-Auburn game last night. There was a, a moment in the game where the Clemson quarterback, I don't know if he was knocked out or what happened, but he hit the ground. He got sacked, and, and he just laid there motionless for like two or three minutes. Eventually, he got helped off the field, but within a couple other plays, he came back on the field. And I thought, like, man, that is a great picture of the Christian life. Some of you, whenever you started following Jesus, you thought this thing was going to be easy. And it's not. It's hard. In fact, it's so hard, some of you are thinking, am I doing something wrong? (laughs) Am I I missing the secret sauce? The answer to that question is no. The Christian life, Paul says, is like an athlete. Following Jesus, I cannot say this enough, guys, it takes effort. Nobody in here is going to stumble onto godliness. Nobody. Nobody. The Christian life takes hard work. The Christian life takes discipline. And therefore what Paul says, if we're going to stand the test of time, we must set aside our differences. We must come together as a team around the gospel and strive side by side in the power of the Spirit. Um, I don't think Andy Runyon's in here today. I think they're with the kids. But I was at his dad's celebration of life service on Tuesday in Little Rock. Many of you know Andy's dad passed away. Adam spoke at it. Several of the people got a chance to speak at it who had played for his dad when his dad coached. And one of the guys that got up to share at the Celebration of Life service, he said, that he said, man, Coach Runyon used to always say this one thing, and it always stick in my hands. He would look at us as students when he was teaching or as our team, and he would say this. He'd say, fellas, you can either be lazy or you can be efficient. Don't be lazy. Be efficient, be efficient, be efficient. This is what Paul's saying right here. He's saying, you want to press forward in the fight with joy in your hearts? Don't be lazy. 
in your spiritual walk. Use your time wisely. Put in the work. He's saying strive together, united around the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Can you imagine if we as a church took this seriously? If we were singing songs like this, serving like this, praying like this, and then whenever it's our time to go, we eventually kill over dead with our boots on and we enter into heaven. That's an awesome life. That's a great way to live, and this is what Paul is calling us to. Second thing he says is this. If we're going to press forward in the fight with joy in our hearts, not only do we need to be united, he says here in verse 28, we need to be confident. If you look in verse 28 again, he says, Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. I wish this were true, but it's not. When Jesus came to this earth to rescue humanity, you know what humanity did to him for it? They killed him. They hated him. Jesus, the only perfect man to ever live, and they crucified him for it. Guys, listen. If Jesus had opponents, we're going to have opponents. One of the first verses I ever memorized was 2 Timothy 3.12 that says this, All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Teenagers in the room, listen, you probably just need to accept the fact that if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to root your life in the gospel, you're probably not going to be accepted by all of the cool kids. And that's really not that big of a crisis, by the way. Men, women, children, listen, guys, if you need the approval of others, I don't know how we are going to be effective in following after Jesus. In Galatians 1.10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I still trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. As Christians, we are not trying to pick fights. We are not trying to pick fights. We're not standing on a street corner with a bullhorn telling everybody they're going to go to hell if they don't live just like us. We're not trying to be annoying. But we're also not trying to compromise the gospel for the sake of being liked. That's what Paul is getting at here. If you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. But look what Paul says. You don't have to be frightened. you know why? Because if they're persecuting you, they're really persecuting Christ. And guess what? He has conquered sin, death, and hell. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be intimidated by even the scariest of opponents. C.S. Lewis, who was living in the atomic age back in the 1950s when nuclear weapons were all the hype, he says this. If we are going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, Reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis. Amen, tennis players? Okay, guess not. (laughs) Chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together and frightened like sheep thinking about bombs. They might break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. Why should we freak out? Honestly, guys, what do we have to be afraid of today? 
destruction? Paul says in verse 28, do not be frightened in anything. This is a clear sign of your enemy's destruction. But for your salvation, that is from God. What he's saying here is whenever opponents come your way, even if they're threatening to take your life, which is what was happening right here in the church of Philippi, when you stay calm and you don't freak out, it's actually a sign of their destruction and your salvation. And if that's confusing to you, let me just ask you this. Paul is writing to a church that is under the oppression of the Roman Empire, the scariest, most fierce empire, powerful empire the world had ever seen up to this point. Let me ask you this, history boss. How's the Roman Empire doing today? Are they still on top of the world? Nope. But how's the church doing? You just take the church in China, for example. In 1949, when communists took over, there were only one million Christians in China. You know how many there are today? After decades of communist oppression, there are over 100 million Christians in China. Despite intense opposition, China, guys, is on the way to becoming a Christian nation. Earthly kings, you've got to get this. Earthly kings are going to rise and they're going to fall. Earthly kingdoms are going to come and they're going to go. But King Jesus, he will stand the test of time. He will rule. He will reign. And if we will stick by his side, we will discover that the church, despite major persecution, will be just fine. Will be just fine. So Paul says, be united. Be confident. The third thing he says, if we're going to continue to press forward in the midst of the fight with joy in our hearts, is we need to be grateful. If you look in verse 29, he says, and I've, I've never seen this verse before. I don't know how. I've been following Jesus 14 years. Never read this verse. Or if I did, I just skipped over it. Verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, if you're like me, you probably never noticed this before. This, is, this really is amazing. Like, I'm glad you're here. Okay? Because listen what Paul just says. When he says it has been granted to you, the word here, granted for you, literally means you have been graced with a privilege. And what is the first thing that he says you have been graced with a privilege of in verse 29? Well, the first one is salvation. He reminds us that God, right, that we didn't work our way to God, that God came down to us. And you believe that, right? Like we didn't meet God halfway. He didn't do his part, and we did our part, and we met halfway, right? Like, like, we didn't do that. The Bible is clear. We were so dead in our sins that God not only came to us, but he had to give us the gift of faith to even believe in him. We were so dead in our sins that we couldn't even comprehend God as he really is, and God had to come and flip the light switch on so that we can see him as he is and truly cherish him. We've been given that gift, but not only have we been given that gift, what he says, you've also been given the gift of suffering for Christ. Now, how in the world is suffering for Christ a gift? Well, think about it. We all suffer, don't we? Anybody else suffer? Okay. We're all going to suffer in this life, whether you're a Christian or not. What's so amazing about this verse is what Paul just said is for the Christian, your suffering is actually for a cause that will outlast the universe. Is that not incredible? All of us will suffer, but for the Christian who suffers for Christ's sake, 
What he says in here, your suffering will not be wasted, and therefore your life will not be wasted. And therefore what that means, guys, is we don't have to sit back and self-pity whenever we are suffering because our little finite suffering that will be here today and gone tomorrow, our finite suffering is actually going to be used for eternal purposes. It's incredible to me. So Paul says we should be grateful. And then lastly, what he says in here, verse 30, we should be engaged. It's right there in the text. You should be engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. John Chrysostom, who was a preacher who died in 400 AD, said this. Nothing is so incongruous in a Christian and foreign to his character than to seek a life of ease. I want to ask you a question, guys. Listen carefully, and we're about to be done. If you have to debate on a regular basis whether you want to wake up and come on a Sunday morning or stay in bed, are you engaged? If, if we are looking for any excuse we can not to plug into community, not to go out with our missional communities, not to serve the church, not to give to the church. Are we engaged? My grandfather fought in the Pacific campaign in World War II. He received a Purple Heart, also got a Bronze Star for his heroic action while he was in the Philippines. And I once asked him how he received his wounds. And in and, and short, basically what he said is every night before they would try to, you know, someone would go to sleep, they would dig these foxholes in a perimeter and they would face outward and different people would take shifts or some would sleep, some would stay awake, right? That sort of thing so they could be aware if the enemy was approaching. And one night my grandfather was about to try to go to sleep and he heard a sound behind him. And he, 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 he turns around and he noticed there's six Japanese soldiers. And so immediately in instinct, he pulls up and he opens fire. And within about two to three seconds, he said, you don't know what happened. There's a huge explosion. Knocked him out. The next morning, he woke up. Said literally was wiping Japanese flesh off of him. His eardrum was busted. He ends up going into the hospital. Stayed there for six months before he was released. And I mean, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, Grandpa, what, what, what happened in that moment? Do you, even, do you have a clue what happened? He says, you know, I don't have any idea. But, but apparently, someone who was supposed to be engaged either fell asleep or got distracted and we all almost were killed as a result. My point is just this, guys. I promise you, one of Satan's greatest tactics right now is to convince you you're in peacetime and you're actually in wartime. Some of you need to wake up and you need to get into the fight. If we are going to press forward as a church in this battle with joy in our hearts, we need to be eager we need to be praying, we need to be serving, we need to be seeking, we need to be fighting. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about fighting against other human beings. We have no enemy that wears flesh and blood. None. I'm talking this morning about fighting against apathy, against bitterness, against consumerism, against lust, against racism, against greed, and all of the other sinful things that the enemy wants to throw, to, uh, throw at us to knock us out of the fight. What I'm talking about this morning is standing united and confident and grateful and engaged, running towards the battle lines where Christ is calling us, knowing that in the end, the victory is sure. I want to end this morning 
with a quote from Lord of the Rings. Is there anybody here that's a Lord of the Rings fan besides me? All right, all right, several of you. Was there anybody on this side that is a Lord of the Rings fan? Okay, all right. I was like, that's really weird. Do a character study about that. All the Lord of the Rings fans on the left. Right. I love this quote. We'll end here. For morning came, morning and a wind from the sea. And the darkness was removed and the host of Mordor welled. And terror took them. And they fled and died, and the hoofs of wrath rolled over them. And all the host of Rohan, that's the good guys, burst into song. And they sang as they slew, for the joy of battle was on them. And the sound of their singing was fair and terrible. I want to ask you this morning, I'm talking to the men especially. Listen up. What's holding you back? You were born to fight a battle. Your hearts long for it. Get engaged. Take some hits. This is for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for each man, woman, and child who is here. And I pray that this morning, that you will awaken us all to the urgency. That you will peel back the layers, the distractions. That you will help us to see ourselves in this world and you as you truly are. I pray if there is anybody here today who is fighting a totally different battle. Father, that has given them their lives as something other than the battle that you have called us to, that you will help them to see what they were created for. And that you will awaken our sleeping hearts. You will awaken us from our slumber. That we will cherish you, Jesus. And that we will seek to be a church that will live and love in such a way that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If there's anybody here today who does not know you, I pray that right now through your spirit that you will flip on that switch. Help the people here who might be blind, who might not see you as you are right now, today, I'm praying for this in faith, that you will help them to see you with their hearts and to know that truly you are the king who will stand the test of time and that they will build their lives on you more than anything else. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.